0: Welcome to the Cinema Australia Podcast with Matthew Eales.
1: Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia Podcast. My name is Matthew Eales. This episode is a little bit different than your usual episodes in that it features two interviews with two very talented filmmakers. Matt Vasley, who has directed a neat sci-fi thriller called Monolith, and Callan Derlich, who has made a very funny romantic comedy called It Only Takes a Night. These two interviews were originally recorded for my radio show on the Community Radio Network, so they're not as in-depth as the usual Cinema Australia podcast episodes, but there's still plenty covered for each film. Anyway, enjoy.
0: Something awful is
2: coming.
1: Truly. I had a very strange dream, but it felt a real—a vision. What's this for again?
2: It's for a podcast. You have to stop what you're doing. You are in danger. This is a good story. I've got, I've got good numbers, and people are really listening. Do you really? Or do you just want to believe it? I want to know why you're here and what you want from me. From us. I can
1: sense him. some kind of sick joke. I listened to the new episode and it sounded kind of messed up. Really got under your skin, Elvinson. You?
2: Please. Please help me, I can't keep living like this, please. I want to tell you a story. All you have to do is listen.
1: That's the trailer for Monolith, which follows a headstrong journalist played by Lily Sullivan, whose podcast uncovers a strange artifact, an alien conspiracy, and the lies at the heart of her own story. Monolith is Matt's featured directorial debut following writing gigs on TV shows like Aftertaste, Wastelander Panda and fucking Adelaide. Monolith will be released in cinemas later in the year. But if you're in Melbourne, you can catch it at the Melbourne International Film Festival from Saturday, August 12. And if you're in WA, you can catch it at Cinefest Oz, where it will compete for the $100,000 film prize. Matt, welcome to the show. It's uh, great to be discussing Monolith with you. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's it's nice to be here. Uh,
1: it really is a hard film to discuss, actually, without giving away too many spoilers. So yeah. I am going to do the best that I can uh, yeah. to have a chat with you about, about the film without giving too much away. Um, uh, I guess I want to start with the fact that uh, Monolith is the first feature film to be produced as part of uh, South Australian Film Corporation's Film Lab, uh, how was that overall experience for you to develop a film as as part of that initiative?
2: Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, it's actually the the Film Lab New Voices program because it's a re a restaging of. They did it um about ten years ago. They made a they had a couple of rounds of it, um, including uh the first round. There, there was a film called Fifty Two Tuesdays that came out of it that uh, Sophie Hyde directed. With a company called closer productions here in adelaide and and i worked on that film was a you know a young buck uh working as a script supervisor and production manager on that film and have worked with closer ever since that was kind of my entree into the industry and they've mentored me for 12 years incredible filmmakers um and so this weird full circle moment of then then it came back and it was like my opportunity to get to to, to direct one of on my own so the idea of the program is that um uh uh, three teams got selected to kind of go through a year of development, developing a, a feature that was bespoke for a small budget, for a micro budget. And so we were there, the, the three of us, myself, the writer, Lucy Campbell, the producer, Bettina Hamilton, um, trying to come up with an idea that would not only work for a, a micro budget, but would also almost be better for it. You're kind of trying to find something that's bespoke for that budget and is going to be more interesting for it or you're going to uh, embrace the freedom that that allows you to have. Um, And so we sort of, through various development, um, came up with this idea of wanting to do a sort of science fiction story, a science fiction thriller, but with one actor, like, could we do like kind of alien invasion story with one actor, (laughs) which led us down the rabbit hole of what if she was a podcaster, what if she was interviewing people around the world, and um, she's holed up in her house, her parents' house, uh, talking to various people worldwide about a a strange alien artefact. And that kind of, you know, that marriage of production methodology and and creative was the the impetus for the whole thing, and, and it kind of flourished out of that. And after that year of development, we were selected to kind of go into production last year. And, yeah, I think we were financed in February. We shot in May and delivered to the Adelaide Film Festival in o- October. So it was a great label. Yeah, it was wild. Really? Um, but, you know, that kind of pressure, that kind of... Um, uh, forces you to just kind of seize the opportunity and 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 not second guess yourself and and be really motivated and get something done. So it's you know a crazy year, but what a what a um privilege and, a, and an opportunity.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And uh, I loved hearing there that your first one of your first features was on Fifty Two Tuesdays. That uh, film yeah. holds a special place in my heart. It was one of the first films oh, I right. covered all those years ago. But yeah, um, uh, you mentioned Lucy Campbell there, who wrote the film. Um. Uh. She's previously worked as a script supervisor on television shows like Wolf Creek and uh, and Aftertaste. Uh, how closely did you work with Lucy to develop
2: this story? Yeah. So Lucy's a yeah script coordinator actually on those shows. So involved in the kind of script department closely in the office rather than a script supervisor obviously be on yeah. set. Yes. Um. She script supervised on Monolith actually. Um. As a way to kind of keep her around after she'd written and keep her on set, which was really great. to continue the collaboration so at closer now i work my day job is i work as a script producer so lots of different script roles but script producers kind of um oversee the development of a television show and so working closely with the writers in the in on yeah aftertaste we did another show called the hunting and i wrote on aftertaste as well so i met lucy when she was working on those shows and um when this opportunity came up to kind of apply for this initiative, it was Lucy who kind of came to Bettina and I. Bettina and I have been working together for a while and said, Hey, what do you guys want to apply together? And we had this, Lucy and I caught up, had a breakfast one morning where she just talked about the kind of film she liked and we had very similar tastes. It felt like a really good match. And I, I've always written my own stuff before and but it was a real it was a really freeing experience to collaborate closely with a writer. So the three of us kind of came up with the genesis of that idea together. And then I kind of worked in that almost that script producery role with with Lucy. Like Lucy was writing, but constantly we're sort of back and forthing between the three of us, and I'm just providing notes, almost like a script editor, um, to kind of help find the key turning points, find the kind of shape of the story. Uh, But all the characters and um, the kind of some of the really rich thematic stuff is stuff that was all surprised to me. That would just come back back when she would write the pass. And man, what a what a thrilling way to work and and. And to be able to have someone to bounce off in that way felt much more collaborative and much less lonely than when you're a writer-director. So I really enjoyed the process. And as I say, when we got to shooting, it was like, well, you know, normally the writer would be like, okay, so yeah, we're going to go make the film. That didn't feel right for this one. The three of us worked on it so closely together that um, Lucy agreed to be the, the script supervisor or the continuity person on set yeah. to like, be behind the split with me. Um, the whole way, kind of doing continuity as an excuse to have her there and so that we could continue collaborating through the shoot, um, which was really great. It was really rewarding. And so now we've been able to kind of cruise around together. We went to South by Southwest together and, yeah, had the best time.
1: Oh, excellent. And there's nothing quite like that collaborative experience uh, when you're when you're working on a feature film. Um, so as well as being this uh, sci-fi thriller, um, quite a subtle sci-fi thriller actually um, the film could also be viewed as a bit of a criticism of modern jour- journalism and these these types of podcasts which can have a great impact on certain communities that uh, certain subjects are aimed at is that something that you were intending with this film?
2: Totally the well we were interested in the way that truth can be weaponized now I guess there's a there's a sense that um obviously we live in a it's talked about as a post-truth age or, a, you know, if people talk, use Bud's words like fake news and things like that. But I think we were interested in the way that um, the person that is in charge of telling the story, whether that be a journalist, a podcaster, um, a blogger, a YouTuber, a filmmaker, um, has a lot of power. There's a lot of power in being the one that gets to set the, the, the way a story is told or what parts of a story are left in, what parts are left out, what parts are presented as truth and what parts... Are presented as fiction and so we were just interested in exploring how that affects human, pe- human beings, how that affects the people that the stories are about as well as the people who tell those stories. So our journalist, our lead character is a journalist who's kind of, she's a disgraced journalist who's been kind of, has done something unethical in a previous, previous life working at a kind of, you know, a, a more a traditional news outlet a, a sort of brick and mortar newspaper and she is turfed out of that industry and desperate to kind of find her way back has kind of turned to becoming like a click, much click, more clickbaity sort of mystery podcaster and makes some unethical choices as she's chasing the story in a desperate attempt to make the story travel and make it feel important and kind of give herself win back credibility in the eyes of, of an audience. And I, I think th- that journey of that character is an interesting way to explore those themes that you talk about, like how much can we trust of what we hear um, and what kind of power, what kind of privilege comes along with um, being the one that gets to, to tell the story. And so as our story, as our film continues on, we hope the audience is questioning, not just her, but they're questioning us as filmmakers. How much are we sort of messing with them? Um, How much are we manipulating their journey? Uh, And hopefully that leads to a film that's, you know, a science fiction film that's got something to say, I hope
1: it really does it really does um it, yeah and great answer there by the way um the film demands a lot of the audience actually in that uh, you know the audience really does have to listen in as though as though we're listening to a real podcast episode was it yeah. a challenge to balance that audible aspect of the film with uh, with genuine entertainment
2: totally i mean we always talked about that um we wanted to make this opportunity of making this kind of your first film and it being a low-budget film, you kind of want to be as bold as you can and make something that's um, very striking. And so it was always a balance between us making a kind of, uh, for want of a better word, art house, kind of festival-friendly film that people were going to be like, oh, that was a strange, interesting, unique film with what we really love, which is like genre film, which is like exciting. You know, we I love the X-Files and, you know, stuff like that. So it's trying to find a kind of, a balance between those two things that kind of more cerebral style and um a kind of punchy horror science fiction film was always the challenge that that we set for ourselves and and you know the fact that it's only one woman lily sullivan um from evil dead rise on on your screen for the whole film talking to voices and a lot of dialogue we restricted it you know that that restriction not only um Uh, allows you to have a better scope in terms of production you've got something that you can handle in terms of budget but also creatively it's like all of your creative choices are going to support that idea so it's like I worked with the the cinematographer Mike Tassari, the sound designer Lee Kenyon the production designer Jonathan Booth Remmers and the the costume designer Renata the makeup designer Kaz I'm going to list everyone now because there's not that many of them Ben Speed the composer. We're all, the editor, Tanya, we're all working together to just service this idea of how can we make that interesting? How can we make that one person on screen compelling and exciting? And so all of our choices are going towards that. Um, To give you an example, very basically, Mike, the cinematographer, and I, we had like a chapter document. We broke the film into sequences, into clear chapters, and made sure that, that visual storytelling was changing and evolving as the film went on. Aware that we're all, we're mostly in one room and we're mostly with one character, how can we make it feel like the world, her world, is still evolving and changing and becoming scarier and stranger and unraveling? And so we had basic things like the opening of the film is three minutes of black. It's literally a podcast. Yeah. You are just yeah. hearing it. Um, then the next sequence, you don't see Lily's face. You're very tight on her mouth and her hands and the back of her head. Then you can see her face. Then the next chapter, the camera can move. Then the chapter after that, it, it um, you know, it's dark. The next chapter, you know, so all these choices to kind of make sure that that visual storytelling is supporting the kind of um, interior journey of the character and the experience of the audience to kind of boy what is essentially like almost a radio play, as you say. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of um, talking. Um, but how can you make that cinematic? And those were choices that. Um, from scripting all the way through, we're constantly just eye on that prize. Yeah.
1: Absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, you mentioned Lily Sullivan there. She is rapidly becoming this uh, genuine scream queen at the moment, having yeah. recently starred in the Evil Dead Rise, which you mentioned yep. there. Uh, can you tell us about casting? Actually, I just want to say very quickly, if people own, if people out there who are listening only think of Lily Sullivan as having starred in the Evil Dead film, go back and watch some of her earlier films because she has been yeah. an incredible actor a- actor for many, many years. But um, can you tell us about casting Lily and, and working with her here?
2: Yeah, she did this wonderful film. Actually, it was, around, it was doing festivals around the same time as 52 Tuesdays called Glore back in the yeah, day. Yeah, such an incredible cool. film. Yeah, she's amazing in it. Um. Yeah, look, uh, Bettina, the producer, is a very experienced line producer in television, uh, so she knows all the agents, which is a handy thing when you're an independent film to kind of have access to. And so when we're sort of casting around trying to work out who could be in the film, she actually had a discussion with Lil's agent who said, hey, I've got this young actor, she's just done Evil Dead, I think she'd be great for this sent us her reel and it was a moment of like oh well I've seen Lily before like I'd, yes of course and you know I'd seen her in a there's a stand show called the other guy which I'd seen her in and knew that she was a wonderful actor kind of has an incredible voice for one which is great for a podcaster yes. quite deep um, you know smoky voice which is really um, uh, listenable really great to listen to um and, and like eyes that are very, that like kind of really capture you, which is very important. We do a lot of very close shots on her. Um, but we so we knew from her body of work that she was an exceptional actor, so we never worried. Nah, not that we'd be worried, but we didn't audition her. For example, we we sort of you're an independent film. You kind of what you're really looking for is someone that's um excited to be there. That's like not just there being like oh, what's this little film I got to like do? It's someone who who wants is as passionate as you are. And so we just jumped on the phone with the or the Zoom as you do these, these days, and just just got a sense of what she liked about the script. She was obviously excited about it. It's a it's I mean it's a great challenge for an actor. It's a very you know she's the only one on screen, she carries the whole film. She's in nearly every frame of the film. There's so much dialogue. Um, it's very different to Evil Dead. I think there are a lot of things that appeal to her about it. And then we could tell that she was just going to be up for the challenge and up for being kind of one of us, one of the crew. It's a small crew. Everyone in the crew really kind of owned their role and she was going to do that too. And so as soon as we met her, Bettina and I were just like, oh, well, that's great. Yep, let's go. And sure enough, she came to Adelaide and um, for, you know, a month with us and shot the film and was just a pleasure to work with. She's a very instinctual actor. She works... um, very physically. So she, you know, the film is a, a horror film as well as a science fiction film. There's sort of scarier scenes in it. And she'll, even though she's mostly just standing there talking to people on the phone or looking through her house, she would do push-ups before the take to like engage her fight or flight reflex and would have to, some takes, you know, step outside for a few minutes after the take, just to kind of let her body calm down. Cause that's how she likes to work really kind of physical, even when it's not a physical role. Yeah. Um, So it was great. Yeah, it was great. And we, you know, we got to go to South by with her. Evil Dead also premiered at South by Southwest. So um, that was a really fun adventure where we played a few nights before and uh, Lee, the director of of Evil Dead, came and saw Monolith and then we all got to go and watch Lily be like a massive movie star at this huge, (laughs) because we're in a normal size little theatre for our film. But um, for Evil Dead, it was in this huge like 2,000 seat. More than that, I don't know, thousands of people in this huge, Huge, you know, huge auditorium in downtown Austin, um, with Bruce Campbell yelling at hecklers and yes, that's uh, that was right. a wild <laughs> thing.
1: Yeah. What an experience. Um yeah, uh, the film also features some recognizable voice work from you know mm. other established actors like Eric Thompson and and Damon Herriman and and also Kate mm. Box. Um yes. what kind of response are you met with when you're offering an actor a role uh, in a feature film that's that's just the voice?
2: Well, there's a couple of things. Well, on one side, it's like the, it's it's easy for them to agree to because it's it's an you know it's a it's a few hours. You'll do it in a few hours in a, in a booth. <laughs> um, on the other hand, it's you know of course it's like a it's a challenge and also just the way the way we shot it. We actually had a an actor, Anne Sue and Nathan on set doing all the voices live. We couldn't because we're so low budget. In an ideal world, we have them all with us on set and they can you know do do it live with Lily. We couldn't do that, so we did a lot of them in post and some. Some of them would have to be quite specific to fit what Lily had done in her performance. We have a lot of long takes and things like that. Um, And so that was difficult. You know, you're working with these incredible actors. I mean, those actors you listed are all amazing. There's Lily Poupetan as well, and there is fantastic. And uh, it, so, so being a director, you don't want to sit there and be so um specific to them. Like it's never fun to be a director and be like, oh, can you just do that a little bit faster? <laughs> like that's a boring direction. But they all actually kind of really loved it. It was really, really interesting. They kind of um I think all of them, I think, really dug the challenge of of the technical it being a bit more of a technical kind of role. Yeah. Um, but we were so lucky to work with all those guys. We sort of have a connection with them. I mean, Eric um i yeah i wrote on aftertaste which is a show he did for abc and he lives here in south australia so i just you know emailed him and said hey what do you reckon and, and was brilliant kate has done work with closer productions here we did a show called fucking adelaide together so um you know same thing kind of could hit her up and she's a, an incredible actor kate um so it was about you know that's that's the the spirit of independent filmmaking is kind of leveraging the you know this is my first film, but I've been working in the industry for, like, 12 years or something longer, um, just grinding away, and you hope that all that hard work you've done gives you some opportunities. And so when yes. you're there making a film, you're like, who do I know? Who Like, who, what brilliant actors do I know that I think um, I can rope in to do this? And they were all incredibly generous to to come along and, and yeah, do the slightly weird thing of acting against what is essentially a robot to them because Lily doesn't yes. change. We've already cut the film and she's kind of... <laughs> you know, unmoving, yeah.
1: Fantastic. Um, well, I have to ask you about this. Where is this house that the film is shot at? Because it really yeah. is magnificent. It actually reminded me a bit of the Lee Whannell film, uh, which which always seemed to
2: think yeah, these man, incredibly yeah.
1: stunning grand homes. Uh, what can yeah. you tell us about it without giving us an exact address?
2: <laughs> yes, I probably shouldn't give the address. No, it's in the, in the hills of Adelaide. I mean, the Adelaide Hills are beautiful, as yeah. you can tell from the film. and um, Especially in winter, they have, like, such a strength. Like, they feel almost European yeah it doesn't quite look australian sometimes which is like kind of a beautiful aesthetic for an australian film to kind of offset that a little bit um but no we had the, our locations manager is a incredible guy called scott McCartan who does a lot of locations work in sa and um he his background he has an incredible background in urban exploration like he was one of those guys when he's a kid that like you know go into like abandoned buildings and stuff and like old tunnels that no one uses anymore and <laughs> What an amazing he's just an amazing guy, but he's also incredibly nice. And, like, he literally, uh, originally the film was, like, scripted to be on the coast, and then, SA, again, we have these amazing limestone cliffs down, down south. And he went down, he looked for a bunch of houses down there, and um, the views were amazing. We couldn't quite find the right house. And what a big theme in the film is, as we talked about before, is, like, privilege and the idea that this young journo, has the ability to kind of crawl back to her parents' lavish mansion. And you kind of need this sense of which plays into the narrative as the story mm. goes on, the well the 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 position she comes from. And yes. So you kind of need to say that very quickly, very visually. So we, was, we saw I said to him, like, well don't worry about the coast. We can kind of figure that out. Um I don't think that's it's not super relevant to the story. It was just kind of an aesthetic idea. What go and find me the craziest house you can and don't worry about where it is. As long as it's kind of isolated, just go for it. And he came back like within a few days with this house that he literally just found on Google maps and he kind of, and he just drove down there and knocked on the door, <laughs> like literally rang the doorbell. Like a huge driveway, you know, one of those intercoms down the end of the boulevard kind of thing. And they you know, were incredibly lovely family who were excited. I mean, they were, you know, they're very proud of their home. It was one that they sort of built themselves or designed themselves and welcomed us in and, um, yeah, let us shoot there for. I think we had a, a week of you know pre-production in there, and then three weeks of shooting. Um, inc- incredibly generous to let.
1: Wow! What there. a story! What a story! I'm really
2: glad that I asked that one. <laughs> it's pretty funny, yeah. But I mean, amazing house, and like more amazing than even what we see in the film because we're that's only like that's only like one wing of this house. It's like another wing we never shot in, which is like all bedrooms. And then there's like a downstairs. It has a, a wine, like a almost like a cellar door wine tasting area and a um. Like indoor cinema, like a like a private cinema. It's it's crazy. It's so
1: cool. Also, great to um to add to the adrenaline of the film to have uh, doors that need to be opened with a (laughs) passcode.
2: That okay. So that's my only beef with this house is that uh the everything was automated. Mm. It was all on these panels on the wall. And yeah, they have this amazing, which I they don't use as a thoroughfare very much. Ah, right, right. (laughs) Big glass doors. But the whole frontage of the house, which you, when you see the film, you'll see Lily does go out there for a smoke and stuff. And they, they kind of open these big, like automatic doors, and they're very slow and a little bit fiddly to kind of get happening because they don't use them all the time. They, yes. you know, use it when they want to entertain or open the house up or whatever. But we yeah. sort of in the story of the film had it as that, that's how she gets in and out of the house. And it just meant we do so many takes and be like, okay, not nah, the doors, didn't open. <laughs> go back, do it again. like, and every time the door would, we'd get the door right, which is totally user error, by the way. The door is fantastic. We just couldn't get it right. And every time the whole crew would be behind the split, like trying not to ruin the take by like cheering because then we got the door right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, terrific. Um, so final question here. The film is currently screening uh, on the festival circuit and, and yep. it'll screen at Myth uh, uh, Melbourne International Film Festival, as well as Cinefest Oz, where it will compete for that $100,000 film prize but um you know not everyone can make it to those film festivals or what's the plan following following this festival run where will people be
2: able to see it yeah we we will have a cinema release we haven't got a release date um locked in yet but it's likely to be um sort of in the late October early November kind of area and we'll do a national cinema release for the film so it'll be out and about you can see it and then obviously we'll hit hit streaming sometime after that but We hope, I think we did a lot of work on that sound design and um, Lee did a fantastic job. Our our mixers, Mike and Pete as well, just did an amazing job. So we really want people to go and see it in the cinema just just for that oral experience, if nothing else. Like the the sort of surround sound mix is is really something. So come see the cinema, support your, you know, local films and we'd love to see you there.
1: Brilliant. Uh, Matt, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Cinema Australia Podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or at cinemaaustralia.com.au
1: It was my three-year anniversary and I was rushing to meet my boyfriend for what I thought would be a special date. Angus. Yes. I will marry you. Yes. No, too loud.
2: Oh. I really need to talk to you about something.
1: Are you gonna ask me like this? I don't think you know what's happening right now. Oh, I know. So you know that I'm breaking up with you then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Would you please take this hood off so I can see your beautiful no. face? Oh my god! I'm fine. You've only been a functioning human for like five minutes, or we're not going out. We
0: are going to party. Yes! Woo! <laughs>
2: suspend Anything you need, just ask. It's
0: going to be a busy night, everyone, okay? Whoa, did you see he just came in? Mm. Angus. He's with a girl. I'm gonna kill him! Oh, God, I am such an idiot!
1: oh, oh, my God.
0: oh right?
1: well, Yeah, we're fine. Is
2: your hand all right?
1: Yes, Crocodile Dundee, I'm fine. Leave me alone.
2: Oh, hey, okay, oh, all
0: oh, right. Me. Come find me.
1: All right, Keith, you know what would um, make me feel better is uh, if I could just get a drink. Is that all right with you, mate? Oh my god, did you just have a fit? It's my Australian accent. Oh god! It's X. Is that him? Oh! Oh! Have a great night! So I take it you're single, then? Not that I'm interested, because I'm not.
0: Going Think about it. So we had a bite, we shared breakup stories, and we got drunk to together. That makes us friends. Don't usually want to kiss my friends.
1: That's the trailer for It Only Takes a Night, which follows four best friends on a girl's night out who end up on a path none of them expected and find out it really does only take a night to change your life. Callan Derlick is a writer, actor, producer, comedian and director known for his previous feature film as screenwriter The Naked Wanderer which he also co-produced and starred in alongside comedy legend John Cleese, who told him it was the funniest script he had read in 20 years. It Only Takes a Night will screen at Reading Cinemas across Australia from August 15 before heading to Cinefest Oz, where it will screen on August 31. Callan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's uh, great to be chatting with you.
0: Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me
1: and I saw It Only Takes a Night. The other the other night I was invited to a cast and crew screening of the film and I, I really enjoyed yeah. it. It's it's so great to sit in a, a packed cinema and uh, share this comedy experience and and to hear everyone laugh. What was the experience like for yourself?
0: Yeah I mean like I said before we sort of started it was uh, I was very very nervous but um, you know I've done stand-up comedy uh, back in the day as well and you always sort of waiting until you get that first laugh, and once I got that first laugh in the cinema, I, I felt a lot better. But yeah, it was just it was just a really nice vibe, and watching it with that many people was a new experience for me. I'd sort of watched it with you know a few test screenings here and there, ten people here, ten people there, and obviously people involved in the filmmaking process. But to watch it with people who like knew nothing about the story, uh, had seen no vision, you know, apart from the trailer. You know, to to watch it with them for the first time was yeah was pretty epic.
1: Excellent. Um, it only takes a night is another romantic comedy for you following uh, your first feature film as screenwriter, The Naked Wanderer. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this a genre that you've settled on now as a filmmaker?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. Actually, no. I, I I obviously I enjoy comedy, uh, just in general. Um, but and you know, sort of, I don't know. Rom coms to me seem to be the most appealing uh as an audience member as well. Like I I really love rom-coms and I'm not sort of ashamed to say that, you know. Um and I think it's one of those genres as well that um, you know, everybody goes and sees together. So, you know, when I make a movie, I really want people to enjoy it together as a community, you know, with their better halves, boyfriends, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. I guess, yeah, that's that's sort of why, you know, I'm making them at the start of my career.
1: Yes. And um Uh, I I know it's difficult to make any film, but uh, was the writing process easier for you the second time around?
0: Yeah, it was definitely shorter, that's for sure. Um, I sort of, you know, once The Naked Wanderer came out, I had a bit of, I guess, spare time where I wasn't working a full-time job as well as writing. I sort of got to concentrate on just writing. It only takes a night. Um, and yeah, that process was sort of like only six months, um, yeah, which which was, you know, probably a third of the time it took to write The Naked Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just easier because I saw it a lot clearer as well. Um, the Naked Wanderer was my first feature film and it was sort of really hard to, to picture how things would go on screen. But then obviously after writing it and, you know, helping produce and being in The Naked Wanderer as well, I got to sort of... You know go through the whole process of filmmaking and that was sort of my film school um so then after seeing that and then you know sitting down to write my second feature yeah I, I just saw it a lot clearer I had all the scenes in my head I knew I wanted something contained because I knew I wanted to direct it um and you know obviously the more contained you know the smaller the budget so um yeah that was about about right uh, I'm
1: sure you'll get this question a lot uh, throughout media interviews, but how do you find writing a screenplay
0: told from mostly a female perspective? Uh, I mean, I guess I never really I never really think of it like I'm telling it from a, a female perspective. I mean, I guess, again, you know, being a comedian, you sort of, you know, you see the world through a, a different lens and you're sort of always taking note. Um, and then, you know, in terms of like the dialogue, you know, all my dialogue is... I guess, simple. And, you know, I'm really relying and giving it to the actresses to really put their own spin on it. And, um, you know, it was really funny, even before we started shooting, uh, I had, you know, a few of the cast members sort of call me up and saying, you know, you know, I just wanted to check, is it okay if I sort of change this word to that word and that word to this word? And I was like, yeah, I don't really care. Like, as long <laughs> as we're getting, you know, sort of the gist of the scene and the gist of the line, like you, you say it in your own words. And and I think that really, really worked when you when you watch it on screen.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah, and it really comes across. You, you can tell that these actors have put their own, own spin on these lines. Yeah. They're all terrific in this film, and uh, especially Eliza Taylor, who's who's the lead. And uh, she's also credited as an executive producer on the film. Uh, yep. Can
0: you tell us about
1: casting, Eliza, and, and how she helped shape, uh, shape the film overall?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we had a really great uh, casting agent in Nathan Lloyd. And, um, you know, he was the one that sort of got us in touch with Eliza. And as luck would have it, we just sort of we were able to connect with her and I was able to literally have a Zoom chat with her. And, um, yeah, she really understood what I was going for. She was absolutely perfect for the role of Ruby. And the reason I guess we wanted her on as an executive producer as well is because because this movie is about four best friends, girlfriends, you know, it, it couldn't have just been up to me to cast. You know, the other actresses. Mm. So you know, it, and it really needed that chemistry. So you know, the the reason for getting her, I guess, on board early and uh getting her on as EP is to really help cast. You know, the other actresses. And and you know, we we agreed on everyone straight away. Anyway, there was there was sort of no like, I want this person. She wants that person. You know, we all we all knew who we wanted straight away. Um, and so. Yeah, having her on board really just made the process a lot smoother, to be honest. And um, yeah, you know, it was great sort of, again, taking her through the the producing side of things. Obviously, she's, um, you know, extremely experienced um, as an actress, having worked on the 100 for like seven or eight years and things like that. But she was really keen, I guess, to see the the producing side of things. And, you know, her and I would speak every night after shooting and sort of say, you know, what worked that day? What didn't? What What should we do tomorrow? And um, yeah, for me, it was it was really helpful having um, someone of her experience just just on set. Really, it was great.
1: Yeah, and her comedic talent really shines in this film. She delivers her so lines good. perfectly. She gets a lot yeah. of. Does it give you some laughs behind the scenes while you're shooting it to watch someone like Eliza work her oh, magic?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was so funny. Like every single one of them all came up to me beforehand and was like, you know, I don't I don't think I'm funny you know i don't think i'm a very good comedy actor or actress or whatever and i was like that's the point if you don't think you're funny that's great you, you're not supposed to be you're not doing like a, a will ferrell you know um stepbrothers type mm-hmm. of role you're doing a role that is real um and you think you're real and you think you're serious but to everybody else it just looks silly or funny or ridiculous so <laughs> um yeah it was great and um I was lucky enough to be uh, introduced to a really great Aussie director by the name of Jeff Walker a few years ago by um, a mate who I worked on The Naked Wanderer with, Angus McLaren. And um, Jeff was uh, great to give me a bit of time and um, you know beforehand and we had a chat and he said something that stuck with me every single day. I just kept repeating it in my head and especially going into making a comedy. He said, you know, if it's not funny on the day, don't think it's ever going to be funny in the edit. You know, you can't just do something amazing with the edit to make it funny. So, yeah, in all honesty, we were laughing every single day and probably too much. We were having, like, way too much fun.
1: That's some great advice from Jeffrey Walker there, and uh, yeah. for our listeners, uh, if you want to put a face to Jeffrey Walker's name, he played Bronson in Round the Twist all those years ago. <laughs> yeah, he's made some incredible comedy in his own right, including uh, absolutely the film, uh, Ali's Wedding, which I, I recommend everyone seek out. Um, yeah. uh, I'm from Perth, uh, you know, I've worked in Fremantle for twenty years. Uh, the film is set in London; it's all it's all based in London, but it's filmed in Fremantle. What were some yeah. of the challenges for you to pull uh, off that seamless transition? because it really is a seamless transition
0: oh that's good um in all honesty it was way easier than than I expected um yeah we sort of shot in uh Fremantle those old Fremantle buildings look exactly like you know buildings in London we did some stuff uh around the city of Perth as well the hardest is the trees you you can't do like big wide shots in WA and expect, uh, expect people to think that it's London because obviously we've got eucalyptus trees everywhere. Um, so, yeah, that was the hardest thing. We only have really one scene like that and we sort of kept it semi, semi-contained, chucked up a few, you know, sort of, uh, you know, underground tube signs and, yes. uh, you know, British laneway signs and things like that. But, yeah, because uh, most of it's sort of inside a nightclub, um, you know, inside restaurants and inside, you know, pubs and stuff like that. Yeah, it really was a lot easier. You, you guess, I guess you just go into it going, you know, we can't really do these big wide sweeping shots of them walking down, you know, next to the river and try and call it the Thames and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, but otherwise it was great. And yeah, super helpful from, you know, city of Fremantle, city of Perth. So, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing when you sort of start to put the feelers out and, you know, see if anyone's there to help. Everyone's there to help, which is which is awesome.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that you spoke about there about, um, you know, everyone's there to help because one thing that really impressed me about this film from a technical aspect were the large crowd scenes in the mm-hmm. in in the clubbing scenes. Yep. Um, uh, how was that experience for you to wrangle so many people uh, as a director? Um, and also the Perth filmmaking community is so uh, enthusiastic to get involved in these things. I've noticed a few familiar
0: faces throughout. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, for me as director really easy because I just told people how many people that I wanted but uh, for my producers and assistant directors an absolute nightmare <laughs> um obviously we shot this in uh, 2021 it was the middle of the pandemic we were day we just come out of uh, lockdown days before we started shooting and then the week after. We were having two, 300 people in a nightclub, which we were allowed to do 100%. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of at that time where everyone was sort of a bit wary of big crowds and things like that. But, again, once we put the call out, um, you know, we had sort of radio, we had TV, uh, you know, the Lord Mayor, Basil Zemplis, came down at the time and did a bit of a shout-out on Channel 7 for us to, to uh, get as many extras as they could for us. So, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a hustle, but again, um, you know, as you saw, you know, in the screening, it it really just brings the whole production up a notch when you have, you know, a real crowd of three hundred people dancing on a nightclub dance floor. So yeah, we were pretty stoked, and um, yeah, yeah, but Perth Perth in general just really showed up for us. So we were stoked.
1: Can you believe that uh, it's it, it may actually become a reality that one day all of those extras might be AI?
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, I'd much prefer to have real people just because of the actual vibe. And, and, you know, that's the thing, right? Like I've seen, I've seen movies where they, you know, sort of, you know, CGI crowds in and things like that. And that's fine. You know, when you're sort of trying to make a crowd of a hundred thousand or it's like a big war or army scene or things like that, but, you know, three, 400 people shouldn't be that hard to sort of, you know, wrangle and get. And um, yeah, it just makes things look so much better, but um, Yeah, the old AI things a little bit scary.
1: (laughs) It is. So you know, now that you've had those experiences with your feature, with these two feature films, and especially your debut feature film, uh, this one, um, are you hungry to head off overseas to make movies, or would you like to continue to make them at home? Uh, Look, I I
0: just want to make. I want to make international films, and I don't really think it matters where where you're at, and that's kind of why I really wanted to make. Uh, a film that was set in London was you know English because it it automatically makes it a a bigger film a more international film a more accessible film to everybody else like that was sort of the experience we went through with The Naked Wanderer and The Naked Wanderer turned out really well Um, but it's funny how as soon as you call something an Australian film it just it has a stigma to it and that's neither good nor bad but it's just sort of like, oh, that's an Australian film and, you know, it's only for Australians or whatever it is. So, you know, I just want to make, yeah, films that appeal to a, a, the largest group of people possible. Um, and really, you know, my excuse, and I always use this as an example of like, you know, Shang-Chi, the Marvel film, you know, is set in a magical, you know, forest somewhere, you know, in another universe kind of thing, and that was shot in the back lots of Sydney. So... You know, if they're doing that, you know, we can shoot anything in Perth and you can do anything anywhere, really. So, um, yeah, for me, it's not really about the location. It's more about the film. And, yeah, I think, you know, if we are going to get these studios here, then obviously we really won't need to travel anywhere to do anything anymore. Yes, uh,
1: Callan brilliantly answered. Uh, 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 I believe the the film will be screening at uh, Reading Cinemas around the country. Can you tell people uh, when and where they'll be able to see it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Reading Cinemas and Screen Inc, the distributors are launching a brand new romance club. Uh, We're going to be the first film that's launching their romance club uh, on the 15th and 16th of August. So all around Australia, uh, exclusively in Reading Cinemas. We'll also be at Cinefest Oz on the 31st of August. And then we go to sort of your digital and things like that in September. So you'll be able to rent or buy wherever you get your movies. Callan, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok.